Welcome to Big Data Small Talk, where we take the vast and complex world of data and break it down to bit-sized accessible conversations. Each episode is featured by leaders in the fields of data science, AI, or data engineering, as we explore the latest trends, challenges, and opportunities around data. Grab a cup of coffee and let's get started. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to Data Science 101, Tools and Tips for Success. So my name is Sabrina, and I'm a developer advocate at Chikuro, and I'll be your host for today's discussion, which is around tips for building a data science career and everything that a beginner should know. So as the world is increasingly driven by data, it's no surprise that data science has become one of the most sought after careers and one of the most well-paid careers, I'd say, as well. And that's why we have gathered a panel of four experienced creators and researchers inside the data science tech community to share their insights and help those of you who are just starting out and are looking to make a career change maybe into data science. And I might be wrong to say this, but I don't think we ever had a panel with this many podcasts, YouTube channels, and blogs all at once. <laughs> so I'd just like to, first of all, thank all speakers here for helping this amazing community with high quality resources and being able to learn data science for free. I'm sure I'm talking for everyone here and many more people when I say this is very, very much appreciated. So yeah, before we dive any deeper, Felipe, I'm trying to add you as speaker. Are you having any, any issues? Please message me if you are and I can help you with it. And just going forward here, I, I first like to introduce everyone to Shikuro, who made this space possible for us. So Shikuro is an end-to-end data platform made to allow data scientists to focus on data science. Basically, our mission is to help data teams to overcome the hassle that it comes with building, maintaining, and deploying a complex data project. We had tried to abstract as much as we can of the engineering behind building a whole data project. And if you'd like to learn more, just go to our website, shikudo.io, and check all the stuff we're building over there. So, okay, going over to the introduction of the speakers, I, I was just hoping that we could get Filippi on stage beforehand. Filippi, all good? Just hit me the thumbs up if you're hearing me fine, just like that. And I can also join, join you on stage if everything is okay. Okay, thank you, join again. Okay, but we can start the introductions here. And first of all, I will begin with Michael. Michael is a data science author, researcher, advocate, I mean, you name it. He has built a strong presence in the data science community and is known for like informative blogs, YouTube tutorials, and just making concepts more easy to understand inside data science to a wider audience. So. Welcome, Michael. Thank you so much for being here. Would you mind introducing yourself to everyone? Sure. I mean, that was a lovely introduction, but really quickly. So I'm a data scientist. I've done a lot of research on wearable devices like Fitbit. I still do some wearable research on the side of my day job where I'm a content lead at Parallel Domain. Essentially, we make synthetic data for perception tasks, autonomous vehicles, mobile computer vision, stuff like that. Think like Grand Theft Auto looking stuff on steroids. And I do a lot of like content creation, LinkedIn learning classes and stuff as well. But I'm looking forward to hearing about the other speakers. Thank you so much. It's, it's a pleasure to have you here. And for sure, we're going to be talking a lot about synthetic data as well. And next up, we have Harpreet, 
a data scientist and developer advocate with a passion to deep learning and artificial intelligence, which I can very much relate. And Harper is also the creator of a podcast, The Artist of Data Science, and is also always interviewing experts in this topic as well, exploring a little bit of the human side of data science. So please welcome Harpreet. Would you mind introducing yourself? Hey, what's up? Great introduction, Sabrina. Thank you so much. Yeah, so I started my career in data science actually before it was called data science. I was an actuary. I guess actuaries are considered data scientists, but that's kind of how I started in the field. was an actuary for a while, then a biostatistician before pivoting more kind of, I guess, modern data science role about five years ago. And I moved into developer advocates, advocacy role in summer of 2021. So for the last two years, I've been doing this advocate thing. Nice. We have many developer advocates here today. I think that's that's always great. Next up, we have Jessica. Uh, she's a data scientist and developer advocate who has a very strong presence in data-related communities and is also a strong advocate for diversity and inclusion in tech and also has a podcast called Pizza de Dados, which, which is basically pizza of data in English. So we're so excited to have you here, Jessica. How are you? Hi, Sabrina. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for the invitation to speak here today. I'm a senior developer advocate at Okta and in particular at OutZero, which is one product unit within. Today, I do not do data science anymore, but I still maintain the podcast, which is one of my greatest joys in doing what I do. And I did data science for the longest time, and I still love data. And even though I do not do data science at zero, data is still part of my life. So yeah, I really appreciate being here today. Thank you so much for being here. And unfortunately, Felipe is having some technical issues, but I'll come back to him later and we can introduce him as well. And I guess just jumping into the questions while we have Philippe solving his technical issues. Philippe, can you hear me all right? Just hit the thumbs up and let's start just going to ask the questions. Okay, so my first question here, I, I want to just go straight to the point here today. So I'm assuming that if you're in the audience, you already know what a data science does. You know, you want to become a data scientist and now you just need to know, okay, how do I become good at it? what will set me apart from the beginning and the most important tips that you can get. So I guess it makes sense for my first question for you guys to be, what are beginner mistakes you often see junior people doing in data science? And completing that question, how do you think is the best approach to start in this space? Is there anything that is very important to learn from the beginning that you consider? What are your thoughts on this? And if you guys want to start speaking, just raise your hand and I'll pass it over to you or just start speaking the way you prefer. I can go, I guess. Uh, so so question around, I guess, beginner's mistake, I think is just trying to learn everything all at once or even starting like from the ground up. And so I know this might be like contrarian advice, but like if you're trying to get into data science and let's say you're coming from like a completely unrelated field, I don't think it's fruitful to spend your time like starting from zero and what i mean by starting from zero is like starting from all the math and and working your way up to what it is you want to i think you should start from the top and work your way down so let's say for example you're interested in computer vision so cool if you're interested in computer vision that doesn't mean you need to go 
and start by picking up a book on linear algebra and like trying to figure out how to do all that linear algebra because you're very quickly going to get demotivated and swayed from your ultimate goal of learning computer vision. Uh, so if you want to do computer vision, I'd say start by maybe downloading YOLO V5 and just letting it rip and then kind of getting into the code and exploring it from there. The one thing I do think you should do when you're first breaking out is like learning to code. So, you know, I'd skip the the desire to want to get lost in the mathematics books and just start learning how to code first. That's my take on that. I like this take, yeah. Go ahead, Jess. Over to you. I was about to say that I couldn't agree more. One thing that I saw many people do, especially after a while doing data science, was I need to understand the deep inner workings of a given library, like, I don't know, scikit-learn in one of the models in there before I can use the model. And that's not necessarily true. You need to know the models to know which one would apply best to your scenario. But if you're just starting to learn, you need to learn. So you need to see what models are out there, what cases would each model be most indicated to use before you can start like to actually diving in on the deeper inner works of stats and everything else. Over to you, Michael. Go ahead. Yeah, so uh, following up on people's points where a lot of it really is learn some programming, learn like the application of something rather than learning about the theory of the theory. Because in real life, when you actually do need the theory, usually that's like, oh, I have a project, something's not working out, maybe it's planned, maybe I'll check out the theory and see if it's it's good. Additionally, when people are just learning, if they're doing a project, a job, like having actual work out there that people can see, it's often useful to have your learning directed at a project, so that way you can kind of grow and deal with the frustration of a project maybe not working out the way you planned initially, or dealing with some setbacks. That's a really good way to get going. I see that's how junior people end up making is they have projects and they iterate on, iterate on them until they actually get the results. So I, I love this because a lot of the beginner courses or beginner things for data science is around statistics, right? Is is around all of these math. And I think actually you don't use it until, I mean, I can be wrong, but you don't use it until you're building already complex projects and maybe just starting out with something small that you won't need so much of this heavy math. Should be also a nice option for those of you who are just starting out and, and just getting the hands dirty, you know. I, I think this is a good advice for any career. Just start doing the job and I think you're you're good to go. Yeah, so obviously I I also want to bring up GPT-4 to the conversation and being such an impactful topic right now in the data science community as well as ChatGPT, as we all know. And I'm not sure if you guys had a chance to try GPT-4 yet, but overall, the question here is, how do you guys see this field, the field of NLP, or natural language processing, evolving? And do you have any tips or tools you'd recommend for people getting more into data science because they want to, want, they want to work and build with these tools? How, how would you give those people some advice? I guess I can just pick one of you <laughs> to, to go next. So 
Free, why don't you take this one? Sure. Yeah, I don't have a ton of experience with, with NLP, but I think the broader kind of uh, that you know, ChatGPT falls into is just generative models. So I think our generative models have taken NLP to like their to the furthest extent and that's something i'll be focusing on actually in april you know like I, I don't know everything that's i guess i guess to answer your question i don't know i don't know much about how the architecture of gpt or chat gpt and i'm kind of just starting my journey on generative stuff actually starting next month i'm doing something called daily diffusion where i'll be diving deep into diffusion models and and just kind of learning about that so to answer your question i do not i don't have much to say about it so i will go to michael but just just have this have this be proof that you don't need to know everything to be a data scientist. So I'm successful <laughs> here without knowing everything. Absolutely true, Harpreet. And it's fair enough answer. I think it's, it's still a mystery for us how GPT-4 architecture actually works. And over to you, Michael, please add your thoughts to the question. Sure. So GPT-4 just came out like within like the last day, I believe. And so what's happening a lot with these large language models is that companies that typically design these aren't sharing how the models actually land up working behind the generally is considered to be a transformer model, which you can learn about. There's a great YouTube video by a former head of data science at Tesla, and I'm happy to share that in the comments or after or whatnot. And that is really excellent resource. However, what I think that's really important for a lot of people that we kind of talked about earlier for junior people in the space is that a lot of these large models, they have APIs where you can essentially just interact with the model and it puts some input, gets some output. And that's typically the way that people end up working with these sort of large language models or large image models, depending on what you're trying to do. And that's a really, really important thing. And part about being a data scientist is learning how not just to understand models, but how to get access to the results, looking at query time. And as far as the field of NFP evolving, I think people are making a lot of jokes these days about becoming prompt engineers, where in order to get great results out of these models, you really have to have good inputs. So have good prompts to be able to get good outputs for your use case. So if you're trying to do something that is very much like analyzing survey data, well, maybe you need a certain like prompt to get good results from a data set or get a good output for, you know, a series of emails you want to write or whatever. That's a really important thing that beginners will probably to learn is that you don't always know necessarily how everything works, but you need to know how to interact with things. And that's it. Nice perspective there. Yeah, I, I do agree with what you're just saying here. And Jess, if you want to add anything, please, just passing it over to you or overall opinions on GPT-4 or ChatGPT. I haven't tried either of them. <laughs> Actually, let me correct that. I have tried them through other software and other services that I use, but I haven't directly interacted with ChatGPT in forever the the person that does that for me is my husband and he keeps me showing oh this is so cool i don't have to write code anymore it can give me the code and i can just adjust it to what to do what i need to do so another thing other than learning how the api work like michael was saying and that you can get the results from it which is very helpful thing to do especially if you're trying to do proof of concepts is also use it as a tool for learning maybe you want to start a new project 
as a good idea, an example that Michael said that I completely agree, you have to try a project to start developing those skills and facing problems and problem solving is use the tools as a way for you to, oh, I don't know what project to start. Maybe that tool can give you an idea on how to start or what to do. It is a fantastic tool and I'm waiting for people to use it more for those kind of purposes too. Yeah, I think being able to like use these technologies like kind of furthering Michael and Jess's point it's just yeah be able to use them and integrate them into like other projects I think a fun project to do would be so for example like I, I don't log into chat GPT like the UI anymore I just access it straight from my command line and I have like the chat bot right there and that was like a fun way to learn about how to interact with the open open AI API and how to build like a, a small app that I can run straight from the command line. And it was fun, good way to kind of, you know, spend a few hours learning about how to build, you know, a mini system of sorts. So I guess learning how to interact with APIs is key. So spot on, Michael. Absolutely. I see so many projects on Twitter right now of people teaching how you can build your own application using those amazing APIs linking to your or a DALI and it just cre creates this amazing application where it can do amazing stuff with so with such a shortcut base you know what I mean so it's basically amazing what people are being able to do out there with so with those APIs and such small pieces of information and, and just piecing it all together I, I just think that's amazing and personally I've been trying chat GPT-4 actually for one day now so it, it was out yesterday and it blows my mind. So if you guys ever want to, to try it out, I, I do recommend it. And I think going over to the next question here is around strategy. So strategy is something that every career or every job has to work a little bit close with. You got to strategize over the work you do, right? So how is it for you? How do you strategize over the work that you do as a data scientist? What steps do you go through to decide which type of model you need to build, right? You, which type of data you need to have. So basically, uh, the planning before you get your hands dirty and starting to build, what are the steps that you go through? And I guess, oh, go ahead, Jess. <laughs> For me, it usually starts with one question that I want to answer. And then I start looking at data and possible models. I might not necessarily know a model that I want to use or have like a clear defined model that I want to use. Sometimes after doing for so many years, you kind of get a feeling to it and you know what kind of model might work. But in the beginning, I would also always start with a question and write down the question because it's really important that you write down the question so that you remember what you're trying to do and don't get lost in the middle of the many analysis that you can do before getting to the models. And after questions is making sure that I have the data that I need to answer the, those questions and the, the infrastructure for running whatever analysis I'm doing. It will suffice for what I'm doing. So I always begin with a question. Yeah, I love how, how I brought infrastructure also needs to keep in mind a lot as a data scientist and, and if you're being efficient with the way you're building things. Yeah, I don't know, maybe it's a bias because I always work with large data sets and I always <laughs> had problems with infrastructure every time. <laughs> 
yeah, absolutely. Working with large data sets can, can be a hassle. And how about you guys? Michael, how do you strategize over the work you do? So biggest thing is thinking about, first of all, um, like the question, the problem, as Jess mentioned, that's probably the most important thing. And then figure out how you can get to the result, if it's even possible getting to the result. Because sometimes you have some problem, you have some data, and there's no way you can actually answer the question that you want to solve. It's just, it's impossible. And sometimes justifying why something's not possible is, is a very good exercise. But assuming that things are actually possible, you have to think about a couple different things. One, are you working with others? So sometimes you might have multiple tasks or things at a job that you're doing in parallel. This is like everyday life. Sometimes if you have kids, you have to drop off kids at a soccer practice or cook or, you know, clean for them or whatever it is if people have kids. And then you also have to manage your job. It's kind of similar, but for jobs, you might have multiple tasks. So uh, one thing for coding is, does the, do you have the type of data for the model you want to do? Is your model performant enough? Are you able to get the model trained? Is the model able to inference, basically make predictions fast enough? Because I've worked on teams where people have an amazing model. It's great, but we actually don't have the infrastructure to deliver the predictions in time. So you can think about this for like car scenarios, where if you want to attack incoming and your model does it 100% perfectly every single time, even in real life, but it makes predictions in eight seconds. Well, by the time you're, if you're doing that in real time while you're driving, eight seconds is not really good when you want to change lanes and, and stuff like that. And then, so where it really goes is sometimes it really is an infrastructure problem, as others have mentioned, where I could uh, be able to do something on my own set of infrastructure, but it might actually be a better use of my time personally to have someone else do the infrastructure for me. So Shakuto, for example, is an MLOps platform. You could use them to really handle all the stuff that data scientists don't want to handle or even can't because we're small teams often at startups. We're not often people at Google where we have perfect infrastructure, perfect scaling, perfect everything. So you might want to use an MLOps platform as well. So that's my short answer for getting something out the door. If I can kind of contribute something to, to the discussion, just kind of going back to your original question was around like strategizing, like, you know, if you got a new problem in front of you, how do you go about doing this? And something I've carried over from my kind of research days was coming up with, with an analysis plan. And so the analysis plan, you know, typically have a, should have a few different components. One is a problem statement. Two is a technical approach. Three is outlining the data that you're going to use. And four is like experiments and evaluations that you want to run. And then finally five is like what type of software you plan on using. So just real quickly double clicking on each one of these. So the problem statement is, you know, what you want to do is provide like a clear description, three, five sentence maximum that will summarize the project or the problem that you're working on. And this then becomes a kind of statement and purpose statement. And, and that's kind of a way that you can kind of kick off now your process. So um, things to kind of answer when you think about the problem statement is, you know, what's the goal of the project? What's the motivation for doing any type of analysis what are the questions that you want to answer why is doing this analysis important and then a technical approach you'd kind of outline just have it be really clear and and detailed description of whatever methods and algorithms that you plan to use so you're looking at kind of designing your your research plan here um, then when you th think about the data just you know, describe what data sets are going to help you answer your problem or the problem statement that you have and then finally just you know, experiments and valuations. So just to, you come up with a 
a brief and clear description of how you plan on evaluating the results of whatever it is that you're doing. And yeah, that's, that's all I want to say there. Yeah, I love it. It's important to know that you need to strategize before doing anything because in, in any career, right, but especially data science, we're always dealing with a lot of resources, a lot of infrastructure, and sometimes just training one thing wrong can cost you hundreds of dollars. So yeah, just just a, a wrong a SQL line of code can, can cost you a lot. So strategizing is very, very important. Know what you're doing. Obviously, we won't be dealing with that huge type of data set at the beginning, but just be prepared from the beginning to deal with that. And yes, Jess, over to you. And just one gentle reminder too is if you outline a plan and then you start noticing that the plan does not work for what you're trying to do, it is okay if you need to readjust the plan. Sometimes we go in to try to solve a problem and we outline like the steps that we want to go through. And one of the steps is not particularly working, so you get stuck. Sometimes, like others have said, is is a matter of maybe that thing cannot be done. So it is very important important that you try to develop also some sort of flexibility around not getting stuck because you are tied to a plan that might not work and having like no results for that plan could be actually one result like i think michael said same thing yeah absolutely agree and so we're still having technical issues with felipe i'm afraid he won't be able to make it here guys he says he's very sorry Apparently some technical issues on Twitter Android. So if you guys can go there and report Elon Musk's account. <laughs> Just kidding. But yeah, sometimes those, those things happen on spaces and unfortunately we won't be able to be hearing Felipe today. So, But just go ahead and check out his stuff. He's amazing with what he posts and he's also an amazing data scientist. And okay, going over to the next question. And I want to be a bit more specific and maybe talk about your guys' personal experience. So we all have that those Eureka moments, right? Eureka, and when you, everything just clicks after a lot of struggle. And I was wondering if, if you guys could share a project or a challenge that you had in your career that taught you some valuable how to help you grow as a data scientist and that you think it's valuable for other people to know about as well. Maybe we can start with you, Michael. <laughs> sure. So I'll keep mine short so other people can speak. So one big thing I've kind of learned in my career as a data scientist is I've had like great models that predicted like health outcomes. But if you can't explain it to the audience that you know you're going to have, then and validate the your model, validate your project, validate your dashboard, whatever it is then it's kind of useless. And then I think the other lesson I've had is I've worked a lot in wearable data. And one thing about when you work in the health space is that there's a lot of privacy and like safety restrictions for good reason, of course. Um, but when you get data sets, sometimes your access to a data set is going to be limited to a certain amount of time, a certain resource, or in the case of one company, which I'm not going to say the name, they got acquired. I got a lot of data from them. I didn't validate the data set that it had exactly what I wanted quickly within like a, a couple of days or even 24 hours. And then it was wear time. So if you want to like look at activity for wearables, you need to know how long someone's wearing the wearable to know that 
their activity when it went to 2,000 steps versus, you know, usual 12,000 or whatever, um, that actually, they're actually wearing it for like 18 hours a day or, you know, 16 hours a day to know that it's actually a fair day and not just bad data. So I didn't have that wear time in that particular small data set that I needed for a project. And then the company got acquired and then no more sharing of data that legal, that was legally allowed. So one thing I've really learned is validate your data, you know, first and make that a priority because sometimes you might have access to that data in the future if you're working in certain spaces. Wow, that is a great advice right there. And something I had never thought about that can be actually an actual problem. So yeah, I mean, over to you, Jess. I see that you opened the mic here. <laughs> I was a little bit faster then. One thing that I learned, and this helped me throughout all of my career, and even doing what I do now, which is not data science, was related to what Michael said, communicating what you are doing, and not only what you are doing, why does that matter? Being data scientists, mostly, most of the time, we work with people that do not understand what we do. And being able to break down complex topics in order to explain to other people that do not understand what you were trying to do is a valuable skill. And it transfers to anything and other profession that you might have. So I changed from data science to developer advocacy, and I keep using that skill on a daily basis. I'm hired to explain complex things to other people. So practicing the art of communicating clearly what you're trying to do what are the processes that you are implementing? What are the tools that you are using? Why everything's taking so long? Sometimes the results we have take a while for come through. So you need to develop that skill of communicating things early on. And the best way to practice it, to acquire this skill is actually to practice it. So communicate often, communicate a lot and be proactive on doing so. And if you need help communicating, ask for help because people will help you answer their own questions. And that's one of the, the things that I learned early on. Well, I agree so much with this. And it's so important to, for you to learn how to convince people and how, how to actually believe in what you're doing, actually believe in your model and that he will make a change. Now, something that often happens to data science models is that over 95% of the data science companies usually make don't, don't see the light of day. So they never get deployed, they never get put into production. And this is because it is such a long process for this model or for this new idea to be actually tested and accepted. And it's so also expensive to do that. So if you don't have a real good explanation of why the company should invest so much resources into your idea of, or putting that into production and why would it make a real difference, then you wouldn't be able to put anything in production. So this is why it's, it's very, very important for you to learn how to sell yourself very early on. I think this is also useful for job interviews, maybe. And as a, as a skill that you take across your life, I think we can see here on Jess' example, she's now a developer advocate and she's also taking advantage of that skill that, that she learned. I love that. And yeah, over to you, Harpreet. I know that you wanted to say something too. Yeah, and maybe this is answering a completely different question altogether, or maybe I'm taking it 
in another direction. But this is kind of a eureka moment that happened to me after a, a while. So it was like five years ago exactly that I was like making that long, hard struggle from being a biostatistician into trying to get into data science. And for some reason, I just thought that like the only way I could do data science work was if I was a data scientist, like I had to have that title in order for me to like do data science work, but it's actually not true because in tech, like everything is available and open and the internet allows you to collaborate with people and share your ideas. So, um, you know, if you're, if you're interested in becoming a data scientist, well, Python is free. You can download that. Whatever SQL database you're interested in, it's free. You can like set that up locally. If you're interested in planning out with data, well, it's like everywhere. Most cities have open data portals that you can access data and start doing fun, interesting stuff with. If you want to practice your communication skills, well, guess what? You can write a blog post, put it up on Medium. You can join a community and maybe be part of their lunch and learn groups or whatever. It's just everything in tech, like all the things that you want to do that you think is like, there's a gate in front of you stopping you from doing it. It's actually not true. You can just do, and you can do whatever you want without having that job title. And I wish I knew that five years ago. And I think it, it didn't dawn on me until like a couple of years ago. So I wish I knew that from the outset. To add to that is 100% true. I have my manager here on the call and a few colleagues too on the call, on this Twitter space. And I still use my data skills to help looking to the stats that we have from everything that we do. <laughs> and so the skills transfer, they are going to be with you forever, no matter what you do in life. Like you, It's not because you don't have the title that you don't do it anymore. 100%. I love this discussion. And thank you guys for answering that. And before I ask the next question, I'd like to touch on the topic of synthetic data. So synthetic data is artificially generated data that mimics the characteristics of real world data. It contains personally identifiable information. So data scientists, data scientists, beginners, which may have not access to large real world data sets, can practice their ideas with synthetic data. So the next question is, how do you see synthetic data playing a role in the learning process of becoming a data scientist? And what resources would you recommend for generating or working with synthetic data in the early stages of a person's data science journey? Over to you, Michael. So I think the first thing to address is it depends on really what your goals are in a career. So, I mean, some people obviously just won't need synthetic data just because what they're working on is not really data that has personally identifiable information. But for people that work in some fields, I'm looking at you, healthcare, you can't really share electronic health records as there's a paper from Google that recently went over that. Or people that want to look at ECG signals, often you just want to generate it rather than working with it because it's just so time consuming to just get a project up and running because you may need approvals to get data, do a bunch of different stuff. You might not even know if your project's viable until you actually get data. So if you get data that is statistically similar, you can often get a project running. And for beginners, if you don't have access to something really cool unless you want to get in the health field or you want to get into some field that deals a lot with privacy, for example, then synthetic data is an option. And there's, of course, a lot of different resources online to to get generate data for your use case. And they're just across the internet. 
it, the one problem with synthetic data is not really like standardized, but people often get data from simulations. They get data from general models. They get, you know, artificial data for, from deep fakes and stuff like that. There's so many different use cases. It just determining whether you need it or not, because oftentimes when you're learning something, you just need a data set to play with, a data set to clean and move on. So. I love it. Yeah. Jess, go over to you. Yeah. To add to that idea, what I was going to say is that is the other case too. Like if you're starting your journey, for example, with an internship and you're learning data science at work, you might not be able to share that data. And if you want to do like most people tend to do, which is write blog posts and, and share your learning journey, you might need to generate those data, those data sets so that you can use a similar thing that you're seeing at work to demonstrate what you are learning. So that could be a really useful tool as well. I don't have a ton of experience with working with synthetic data, but there's a bunch of like Kaggle competitions that have synthetic data. If you just go to Kaggle and type in synthetic data, you can get something to play around with. There's a hugging face challenge that happened that was like not really synthetic data, but it was like trying to build a classifier to discern between AI generated art and human generated art. And I think that's a pretty interesting thing to do. But I'm definitely going to holler at Michael because I think there's some some opportunities for collaboration between our companies. So I'll hit you up. Of course, happy to chat. And of course, I mean, just a personal plug, I, I write about synthetic data these days. So I'm typically geared toward like computer vision and, and stuff like that. And I write an article in Katie Nuggets. Feel free to reach out to me if you want resources about just anything for anyone listening. If not, that's cool too. I'm just happy to chat about literally anything. Exactly. Michael here talks a lot about synthetic data. He recently wrote a blog post about it. I'll leave it on the link in the description. And I'm glad we mentioned Kaggle because Kaggle is, I think, in my opinion, one of the best platforms out there to start out with data science projects and, and just start learning a little bit of data science. And this is actually the next question. So it's basically any resources that you guys would pay to new people in data science. It can be books, it can be online courses, it can be blogs or podcasts that you find helpful when starting out with data science and that you you, think, you still think that it's valuable today and helps you out a lot. So I think we can start this one with Jess because I know <laughs> you need to leave soon. So go ahead, Jess. Well, I don't know. One thing that you probably need to figure out for yourself is what is the best way that you learn. And based on that, find the best resources for you. But if you like books, one thing, one that I really like is How to Lie with, with Statistics and Weapons of Math Destruction. Those two books are really good reads. They are intense, so read it slowly and let it sink in. But they are really good ones to open up like your mind for what you can do and what you cannot do and the things that you probably have fun learning about too. So those two are two new, uh, indications that I have. If you speak Portuguese, I have a podcast about data science, which we hinted about in the beginning. So if you want to learn more about data science, well, while listening in Portuguese, that is Pizza de Dado is a great resource. Yeah. So you need to figure out which way you learn best and try to find what it is best for you. Exactly. Just go to my podcast and I'll tell you all about it. Right, Jess? hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. So thank you so much for joining. I know you have to leave it at the 
top of one hour. We're almost finishing, just one last question. But anyone in the audience, if you guys want to ask any questions to Michael or Harpreet here, just please request right now and I can pass it over to you. And Jess, if you want to give any final thoughts or advice to the audience before you leave, please, the stage is yours. I feel like I've been giving this advice many times this week already, and it's only Wednesday. But be patient with yourself. That's one one personal note. When I was starting my journey with working with programming in general, not only data science, I was very impatient with myself because I always had that feeling of, oh, I really should know this, but be patient. It takes a while. I know there are a few bootcamps and courses out there that say, oh, you can become a data scientist in one week. And that's not true. It takes, a, it takes time for you to develop the maturity around those topics. And it takes a lot of patience in trying to understand the things and getting your hands dirty and breaking stuff and then fix it back up again. So uh, be patient. That's my one true advice for today. <laughs> I totally agree with that. Couldn't agree more. And also, if you want to share any future events that you're planning out on Zero or in your personal career. Oh, yeah, for sure. By the way, if you want to learn more about the realm of identity, that's the one that I'm working on now. I do invite you to join us at developerday.com. The event is going to be virtual first, and we're going to have a lot of amazing content given by a lot of amazing developer advocates. So I do recommend you check it out. Amazing. And if you can put the link for that on the description. I will. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, so everyone can just go afterwards and check everything out that we're saying here. Again, thank you so much, Jess, for participating. And we should be also over soon. But if you, again, if you're in the audience and have any questions, now is the time to request and we can share it to all speakers here. And I guess also passing the questions to Michael and Harpreet, what are resources that you find helpful, that it helps you when you are starting out in data science and that you still think it's valuable and people should, should know about? So... I'll go first really quickly and let Harpreet speak after. So I'm a big fan of Sebastian Rashka, and I just probably butchered his name, but he writes a lot of books about machine learning with scikit-learn and PyTorch and TensorFlow. I find those books great because it's good for beginners, but then even these days I find myself referencing some concept or some material I found great, and it's really great. A lot of the books are pretty detailed, and the author actually cares to me visuals, which is very important, I think, for beginners. That's it. Uh, I don't have any, like, I've got a ton of books, trust me. There are books all over, but I guess the advice I'd give you is whatever book you pick, just, you know, before you pick up another book, at least make an effort to get through the current book. Don't, don't just keep enrolling in boot camps or keep picking up books because it's tempting to do so. So I would say that that's the piece of advice I would give. But if you're looking for something that's like kind of goes really in depth from like the ground up, uh, there's Deep Learning, a Visual Approach by Andrew Glasner. This book kind of abstracts away a lot of the math and explains stuff really visually, but there's no code in the book. But I like to have it as a, as a reference guide. But that's just a really good book. And don't underestimate documentation for whatever library it is that you're trying to check out. If you're stuck, the answers can usually be found in documentation, you just gotta have the patience to kind of go through and, and find it. 
I love it. If, and if you guys are not being able to keep up with all the resources, I'll be asking the speakers afterwards which are the resources they're, they're sharing and we'll be sharing the links or the names of the books in the comments of this same post. So just keep in touch for that afterwards. And yeah, thank you so much. Also, I, I'd like to add here that every single person here I invited today is a content creator. Bye, Jess. I see that you're waving at us. Every single person here on the panel is an amazing content creator, especially in, in data science. So I highly recommend you to check out the content they are putting out. And I, I know like Harpreet and, and Michael usually do amazing videos that I think is very, very nice content for you to also have and look for when, when starting out with data science. So yeah, next question, finally. Uh, Is the, is the last question actually and I'd like to ask you guys about the process of actually getting into the market and start looking for your career in data science okay like I already know a lot of things a lot of tips for becoming a good data scientist for having success in my career but but then I, I still need to find a career right I need to be a good fit for the market So what advice would you give to someone who is preparing for their first data science interview or looking for their first job in the field? And sure. Yeah, go ahead. I'll, start. I'll go first. So one thing I did, I interviewed, I'll just say the company. So back in the day, I interviewed at Booz Allen, which is like a defense contractor. And I prepared perfectly. I knew all the answers to all the questions. And then I realized... I didn't actually show up on time and that's why I actually didn't get the job. So being punctual is probably one of the most important things. And so speaking of punctuality, I'm actually a little late for my next event. I, it, it's chaos sometimes when you're, you're working. They're trying to balance 10 or 15 things at once. So when you're doing your interview process, take notes, research ahead of time and show up on time. So thanks everyone for having me. I, I got to go. And thank you, Sabrina, of course, and Chikudo for hosting and as well as uh, being heartbreak again. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much, Michael. And before you leave, if there's anything you'd like to, to share about your personal projects, feel free to do so. Oh, no, just check out my medium, Michael Galarnik. If you like, you look at my Twitter, it's easy to find YouTube, et cetera. And I write blogs and I just publish something about synthetic data, best practices, and that's it. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you, Michael. Bye-bye. It's just me and you now, Herfried. It's the last question. Career yeah. advice for beginner data scientists. Yeah, I think like the important thing to remember is that data science is like a, it's an umbrella term. It's not like really one job anymore. There's a bunch of different jobs that fall under data science. So I think it's important that you find the one that like resonates most with you. Because under data science, there's like analytics engineer, there's data analyst, there's data engineer, there's data scientist, product analyst, machine learning engineer, deep learning engineer, you know, all these different types of roles. So first figure out what type of role it is that you actually want to do. And once you kind of have that understanding of what it is that you actually want to do, what I would do is just look at 10 to 20 different job descriptions and print them out on paper and have them all laid out in front of you, then take a highlighter and then whatever you see that's like common amongst all those job descriptions, to start highlighting that and kind of compile that into a list and say, all right, cool, this, these are like the actual skills that I've seen the job that I want to go for is requiring and then focused on acquiring those skills. And you can acquire those skills typically through hands-on practice. That's like the, the, the best way to do it. 
So that's the advice I would share. I love it so much. And I know we're going a bit over time here, but just my final thoughts on this is basically make sure you're picking a environment that is favorable to your own growth. Because at the beginning of your career, you definitely need support. You need people also mentoring you and helping you out from the beginning. So I do think that's a nice thing to, to consider as well. And also make sure you're doing something you like. After all, like data science is a very fun field is a very fun experience overall and but but every job can can get a bit stressful so make sure you're doing something you love and it will be rewarding and so yeah i think this is it for today's discussion on how to get started with data science i'd like to thank everyone in the audience here today for tuning in and also all speakers now it's just me and heartbreak but thank you to all speakers who are here and also sharing their insights today with us. And yeah, Heartbreak, any final thoughts and any events you'd like to tell everyone about? Yeah, so these days I'm focused mostly on, on deep learning, kind of taking a winding career path, going from like traditional statistics into like data science and leadership and all that. Now I'm mostly into deep learning. I've got a community that I've launched called Deep Learning Daily, but like one of the entry criteria to the community is that you must be an experienced practitioner. So I'm not sure how many experienced practitioners are here before you're breaking the data science webinar, but uh, I've got that. Check me out on Kaggle. That's where I keep a lot of, uh, yeah, like I'm doing a ton on Kaggle in terms of image classification. And then shortly I'll be moving into like doing detection and segmentation as well. So if you're interested in computer vision type of stuff, check that out. Absolutely. And thank you so much for being here with us, Harpreet. And again, thank you everyone for tuning in and I'll see you guys on the next Big Data Small Talk. See ya. Bye.